Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, what's up, everyone? This is Richie Randall, co-host of BuzzBeat. Uh, we just got through watching the Hornets take on the Oklahoma City Thunder in an overtime match, losing 104-102, to dropping the record to 13-21 and for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I'll be joined today by Brian Geisinger. Brian, how's everything going with you? Things are good. Happy holidays, everyone. Hectic time of the year, but good to be back on after uh, a week off. And uh, what a wild, wacky game that was in Uptown tonight. Yeah, it was a game that, that started off very slow uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. They missed their first 18 three-point attempts. Uh, <laughs> they didn't make one until late in the second quarter when Rozier hit, a, I think, one in like transition. So, you know, Rozier uh, in this game, I, I guess we'll just start with him. Uh, and we had some thoughts about him leading up to this podcast. We were going to do a, a Twitch live stream, but uh, we had some uh, technical difficulties here. So Terry Rozier uh, had a very strong half and, and kept this team in this game uh, until some other players took over. But Brian, you had some thoughts about Terry Rozier in the sense that if Terry Rozier is having to step up, it probably means that some of the other guards are not having their best games. And Devontae Graham tonight, 6 of 21 from the field, 3 of 13 from deep, did not have his best game shooting the ball, although he did make some tough clutch threes uh, towards the end of the game. So Terry Rozier has surpassed my expectations uh, when we did the sign and trade with him over the off season. And I had that conversation with Div B on our previous episode, mm -hmm. but uh, just kind of your thoughts on, on Terry Rozier in this game. And I know that you said that it's probably not a good sign, but he still produced scoring 26 points for this team. Yeah. I mean, Rozier had a great game. There, there's no doubt about it. I thought he kept Charlotte, you know, above water for stretches of this game. I guess my thing, the point I'm trying to make is that when the Hornets are clicking best offensively, it's when Devontae Graham is doing his thing off the dribble and out of the pick and roll. That That is his, that's his pull up three game from above the break. And that's, you know, his uh, pick and roll passing with PJ Washington. They weren't really able to hit any of that uh, against Oklahoma city in part because they really didn't go to much small ball PJ at the five, maybe a little bit with Marvin for a stretch of the game, but mostly had biz or Zeller out there to, to function and to, to work against Steven Adams in particular. But what I'm trying to make is Rozier is at his best. I think Charlotte's offense is at its best when his, his offense is primarily coming off catch and shoot threes. Right. And there's less of Terry needing snake pick and roll and, and Create, tough yeah. long twos and get to the free throw line. Just Devonte is such a ceiling and floor raiser offensively for this team. And when, when he's not clicking and again, he had a, he had a rough night tonight, obviously shooting the basketball five turnovers too. That's probably close to his season high, but three of 13 on threes, 
um, against what I thought was a really nice defensive performance from uh, from Oklahoma City in this game, too. A couple other things I would add. Uh, Hornets didn't get to the free throw line until they were under three minutes left in the second quarter, too. And I thought the Hornets, especially early on, did a nice job uh, one-on-one defending, and then the defense came back around later in the game, too, especially thanks to some help from Cody Martin. But... Yeah, as well, Rozier had a great game. Hats off to him, and he's had some of these. He's had some nice performances this season. I think overall, he's he's done just fine offensively. For Charlotte, it's just when he has to be used like this. I think it usually it, it's um it's a byproduct of trouble that's ha- happening elsewhere in the backcourt for Charlotte, right. which is it, that Devontae's usually having having some having his struggles. It's typically, like you said, out of necessity why he's doing this. And, and you, yeah, want, exactly. you want Devontae Graham to, to be leading the charge here, and with him being a little bit more passive and allowing Rozier to take over, it's probably out of necessity. You know, we're, we're about 40 games into this season, Brian, and I feel like to me, you know, you don't learn a whole lot from these games in the sense that if, if you haven't learned about this team up until now, you know, you clearly have not been watching for these first 40 games. But there, there's a couple of things that we start to learn as the season progresses. And one of them is a player that you just mentioned, Cody Martin. You know, Cody Martin, you know, is slowly starting to pick up his playtime, getting more consistent playtime. And this is a player that I feel like doesn't need to be in Greensboro, needs to be with the big league team uh, up in here in Charlotte. Uh, I thought in the first quarter, it wasn't his best performance. He had three early fouls. Uh, he left his feet a couple times on, on pump fakes, uh, which I felt like the Hornets did a lot in this game, especially in the first half. They did. They just were leaving their, their feet on a lot of thunder pump fakes. But anyway, late in the game, third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, he's the type of player that you want out there in those types of situations where you need stops. And I, I think for most NBA teams, but the Hornets especially, you know, this team is very fun to watch, especially when they can get stops and get out in transition. Uh, and we saw that a lot tonight against the Thunder. Yeah, I mean, we can't talk about Cody Martin enough on this podcast, and I agree with you that he had some struggles uh, weirdly early in this game, one-on-one defending, it's just stuff that you don't normally see from him. And he's going; to, he was guarding some some clever offensive players at times, like Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think it's pretty neat that we've hit a point now with this coaching staff where as Zeller's confidence is, or pardon me, as Cody Martin's confidence is going up offensively, I think some of it has to do with just how he's having an impact defensively. The coaching staff is trusting him to go out and guard talented opposing offensive players. Like the last three games, we've seen him guard Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, uh, Chris Paul and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like that's a, that's a pretty serious row of uh, perimeter offensive firepower in the NBA, but I think the coach is trusting him defensively and that leading into some transition opportunities. I think all that is sort of boosting his confidence offensively. He had a nice little five point spurt early in this game. Not a great shooting performance for, for Cody Martin. Uh, He missed all three of his three point attempts, but four or five from the free throw line and three of eight shooting overall, six rebounds, two steals. And before this game, and I don't think much will change after it, but Cody was leading this team per 36 minutes in steals, deflections, charges drawn, and three-point attempt, th- opponent three-point attempts contested. That spells not just a, a, a strong defensive player, but someone who plays really, really hard and plays intellectual, plays just smart basketball defensively. I don't think he misses a ton of assignments um, in help, and he just plays with a phenomenal motor. And, and I think, yeah, Charlotte found has found a 
another NBA rotation player in the second round of the draft and a guy that is going could potentially if he, if not already is as we've seen with some of these assignments he's drawn is filling a uh, a position of need for the Hornets which is a you know a a plus perimeter defender and it looks like Cody Martin is just that he played 21 minutes tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He has replaced, to me, it seems like, Nick Batum in the rotation. Nick Batum is, is fully healthy. Uh, he can play, but did not get a, a minute in this game. And the assignments, like you talked about, uh, he has had the opportunity to guard some of the best wing players in the NBA. Uh, he had to guard uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander on a couple of possessions tonight. And there was one possession where SGA did get him on a on a nice little Euro step for a, a nice nice layup. Uh, SGA had a really good game for the Thunder, uh, shooting 10 of 17 from the field uh, and 27 points. Another has been young, awesome recently. Yeah. SGA's been on fire for Oklahoma City. Another young player that I, I think that we should talk about, another rookie, is P.J. Washington. Uh, you know, this is a player that – We've learned that we've missed this guy. You know, he's coming back from injury. This was his first game back uh, from injury, and he's just such a versatile player, Brian, in terms of what he can do on the offensive side of the ball, uh, the offensive side of the ball, dribbling the ball, posting up, shooting the ball from deep. You know, he does a lot of things inside and out. And uh, he had this one play on the defensive side of the ball, which is also impressive, where he was guarding, I believe it was SGA in the first quarter, where he had him out on the corner. Uh, SGA mm-hmm. drove and he stayed with them the whole time. And SGA tried to do that like fake, you know, flip hook. Yeah. Uh, and he did not not bite at all. So PJ Washington, it's great that we have him back. Um, and, and we're learning a lot about him as a pro. He's he's a really good player. I mean, this guy is an, an all rookie NBA player and clearly is a cornerstone going forward for the Hornets. We've said it how many to, you know, two thousand times between the middle of October and the end of December now, but it just can't be stated enough. This guy can function well on both ends of the court is a is a two way high impact player. And I think quietly, because he got off to such a hot start shooting from deep, we saw teams adjust and start to really run him off the three-point line, throw smaller defenders at him. And in fact, we saw plenty of Shea Gilgis Alexander guarding him um, in down the stretch for Oklahoma City tonight. It's sort of a, a different, uh, a conceptually different than what I'm getting at. But we saw some of that, and I thought P.J. had, there was an adjustment period for him. And I don't want to say that he's necessarily turned a corner or whatever. I don't think his play necessarily dropped off a crazy amount at any point. He's just sort of coming back from injury. But I thought it was cool that, Charlotte twice in after timeout situations, let him run handling some pick and roll with Devonte Graham or pick and pop. I should say uh, twice. They did that. And they did that last week against Utah with Cody Zeller handling as well. So I like that. I just think he's the, the point I'm trying to make is I think we're getting to see PJ play with the basketball a little bit more. You're seeing him attack closeouts. You're seeing him uh, finish on, you know, rolls and slips after a dribble or two. Um, getting to operate in some of these isolated mid-post situations where he just gets to handle a little bit more. He even hit a face-up jumper against SGA today. Uh, Oh, yeah, mid-range. Also got to a rare mid-range shot for PJ as Eric Collins was more than happy to bring up during the broadcast. (laughs) And, yeah, I I think all of that stuff is good. I think he has responded well to teams guarding him in different ways. And it will be 
interesting now that he's back in the lineup to see if Charlotte can get to some more of those looks with he and Marvin Williams at the four and five that really open the floor for PJ and let him attack, um, you know, on out of the pick and roll on, on rolls and slips to the hoop, uh, either on the short roll where he can get to the, get to that floater or put it on the court once or twice and dunk it or look for the lob. Uh, but yeah, PJ is a tremendously versatile player. I know he missed, uh, a big free throw in overtime yeah. for the Hornets that could have potentially sent us the sent the game into double overtime. But overall, it just it's crazy how much this guy just changes the dynamics, the dynamics of the rotation, and and how good this team can be on both ends of the court when he comes back. I like the impact data doesn't lie with this guy. He is he's the most important player on this roster. I think, um, I, I suppose you could, you could certainly make a case for Devonte Graham and perhaps he's the, there's a, there's a relatively easy case to make because, because what he does offensively for Charlotte, what he does with the basketball in his hands, no one can quite replicate that. But I, I would say this the PJ does something similar, just that's less obvious, uh, with what he does to the front court offensively and defensively for the Hornets. To your point, I'm not the biggest fan of plus minus, but he was the highest plus minus in this game for the Hornets at plus 20 and 37 mm-hmm. minutes of play. I had 14 points, five rebounds. Let's get to Malik Monk because Malik Monk has his highs, his lows, even in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, but man, there are certain points in this game where he just tempts me like where yep. it makes me think that I just want to extend this guy, keep this guy on this team. And then there's other points where I'm just like, trade him, trade him. I feel like he has some kind of value or intrigue around the league. But mm-hmm. to me, like, even though he's not hitting his three-point shot, he's still making an impact. He probably made one of his best passes of his career in transition to Cody Zeller. Uh, that was uh, just amazing how he looked off the defenders and kind of scooped it pretty much three-quarters of the court, you know, down, down the court to Zeller. And he's just, he's very good, especially in transition. There was one play in the second half where it was like a two-on-one, and he was the one that was leading the break, and he had to slow it down a little bit to draw the defender in so he can make that alley-oop to Cody Martin. And uh, I, I think he gets overlooked as a passer and a distributor as this team, uh, you know, on this team, I should say, because coming out of Kentucky, he, he was this shooter. So Malik Monk, again, two of seven from the field, uh, only four points, but uh, I feel like his impact was a little bit stronger than just by looking at this box score here. Yeah, I think you got to take it a step beyond that. The four assists do do look pretty nice from the box score as well, but like you said, two seven plus minus for him, single game. We're not going to read too much into it. It wasn't pretty tonight against Oklahoma City, but of those seven shots, three three-pointers, he missed all of them. The three just has not fallen for him really this season, but the other four attempts all at the rim, including an alley-oop dunk and a put-back dunk too that he had over Stephen Adams that he probably could have gotten a, a foul call on as well. I just think his first step is looking better. I think this guy's crossover and how he's using that to get downhill, both in the half court and transition. I think that's looked good. He threw three really, really nice one-handed passes tonight. Um, And I think defensively, while he is not without his miscues and his missteps, I I think for the most part, um, I think his help defense has gotten a lot better. I think, uh, you know, seven times out of 10, six times out of 10. I, I don't know what the number is. And, and maybe those in, in someone else's book, those numbers are too low or whatever, but I just think he's in the right place at the right time. More, more times than not. Does that make any sense? Right. And, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Cause I don't think that was necessarily the case um, prior to this season. 
I think he's locked in better on that end of the court. Again, I, I don't think for any stretch that he is a, a, a you know plus help defender. I just think most times he's in the right spot. And he had a really nice steal that led to, to that transition pass to uh, Cody Zeller where he uh, – I can't remember who the big was for the Charlotte, but they were fronting Steven Adams. Pass got thrown in over the top. He swung in from behind, stole the ball, pushed it, and then hit Zeller running the pipe for a dunk. You could maybe say this about – a lot of NBA players. So forgive me if this is some lame attempt to sound profound that, that really <laughs> falls flat, but the moments when he looks good, uh, you're really, you're, it, it really makes you think this guy could be a really good player. Does that, does that make any sense? Like obviously when everyone's playing their best and you're, you're only seeing the best of them, you're not seeing the warts. It's it, it, Anyone, everyone looks good in those moments, obviously. Like, no right. crap. When you're, when you're playing well, you look good. But Monk does things that are, um, yeah, I just I just think they're I think they're special. And, and I sort of have enjoyed seeing him um, figure things out a little bit defensively. I keep waiting for the three to fall. It hasn't happened this year. I, I just, I think there's still, a, you know, you've got to remember this guy doesn't turn 22 until February. And I still think there's like an impactful NBA player in there somewhere. We'll see, uh, you know, what the off season brings. I don't think he's, I don't necessarily think he's an extension guy just at this moment. seems more like a, um, a guy you wait until 2021 and you see what the restricted free agency market looks like, whatever. But I, I just, he does things that are special and I, and I think he's improved both sides of the court offensively and defensively. And I'm just, I, I don't think there is any reason to give up on this guy yet as an NBA player. I don't think now like I'm accusing anyone of doing that. Um, well, he, he makes you want to do it sometimes. Cause like you said, his highs are really high and his lows mm-hmm. seem to be really low. The, the gap between those two seem to be kind of big. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a high variance player. Yeah. There's, there's no doubt though. I, I, I maintain my belief though, that um, he, he had a nice pick and roll pass to Zeller for a finish in this game too, um, where he sort of like wrapped it around late in on his handle and, and hit Zeller for a score. I, I just think while he is a high variance player, I think while he's, he's gotten stronger, he's, he's shooting a more efficient shot profile because he's getting to the rim far more frequently this year. Even if the three isn't falling, the three has really fallen off a cliff for him. He's getting to the rim, which, which is not something that we could have said last year. He's he's getting to the rim and he's hitting his his assignments more often than not. Just, just me, you know, watching the games, watching the tape. And, um, yeah, I, I just think that that has made projecting him out further, uh, maybe not easier, but I think the, the the odds of a of a favorable outcome are more likely now than they were in mm-hmm. December of 2018. Yeah, you can take a five minute clip uh, of him in any kind of game this season, and you're just like, whoa! Like th- th- this yeah. guy should be a part of the Hornets' future. But mm-hmm. if you look at it from like a, like kind of like a, you know, take yourself back and just watch this whole game, it, it does give you a little bit more pause and and consideration as to what this guy brings on the NBA level. But yeah, like you said, like there are some very high points with this guy's game. And, and you would want to see it on a more consistent basis. But he has shown improvement uh, since his rookie season. Uh, and then one more player that has not shown too much improvement from his rookie season that I want to talk about in this game is Miles Bridges. Uh, he had a weird game today. It felt like he really wasn't all that involved. Uh, but late in the game, he made some clutch plays to send this game into overtime. He had a putback dunk. And then he also had a corner three right in front of the Thunder's mm-hmm. bench, uh, which you know surprised me. 
Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they ran the play for him, but definitely he was one of the primary options on that play, uh, and they yeah. got him a clean look in, from the corner. I don't know if it t- did it tie the game, Brian, or got it within one. Do you remember? I need, need to check up the play by play. I don't quite. I don't okay. quite remember. It was close. Regardless, it was close. It was a clutch situation, and he made a clutch three. Uh, but there's still some things that worry about me with this game, and I, I'm not even going to touch the defense. It's also on the offensive side of the ball. When you put the ball in his hands and he has to dribble and create for himself, he doesn't create a lot of separ- separation. I um, mean, he's also throwing off, you know, shots off the wrong foot, which, which you know, some players are comfortable doing, but, you know, in the wrong hand, it just doesn't look as comfortable for him out there uh, when he puts the ball in his hand and he's having to drive to the rim unless he has, you know, a wide open space for a dunk. So he's definitely a player that, you know, is going to be more of a spot up player and, and a third option on this team. Uh, but you put the ball in his hands a whole lot more. You're starting to see some of the deficiencies and some of the things that he's lacking on the offensive end. And I'm not even talking about the defensive side of the ball, but interesting game for my Miles Bridges, he came up big late, but uh, for the most part, yeah. it didn't seem like he was much of a factor. Yeah, with 37 seconds left in regulation, he had a corner three that brought Charlotte within one point. Here we go. Uh, that was that was just after Chris Paul uh, hit, hit a jumper on the other end. It was an after, like you said, Richie, it was an after timeout look. Um, yeah, look, we've talked plenty about Miles' defense. Nothing's changed there. Um, offensively, and this is it, you could watch the Hornets for the first. You could you could spend your time watching every other team in the league, and then watch the Hornets one time. Or if you watch them play every game this season, it's it's obvious to anyone. He just takes off or some from some of the weirdest places on the court for a guy who is so athletic, and and you saw it on the on the putback dunk that he had late, and you see it a couple times a game. He is a special special athlete. He just makes things more difficult for himself. And I know part of it is it's like, okay, if he could get all the way to the rim, he would. And he's got that little spin move that he likes to, that frequently has him taking off though from outside of the restricted area. But he just takes so many shots, jumping off the wrong foot from weird distances. And because of that, he has to contort and and try to use the glass and use weird angles and finish over seven foot shot blockers. And with you know, with with other help defenders trying to pinch down and, and knock the ball out of his hands, he just it he's making the game I feel like more challenging than he needs to when he's finishing when he's trying to finish one on one either in transition or in the half court. And I would just like to see some um, again. I, I just think I think for that it's all skill because athletically it's skill and feel and craft where he needs the most work because athletically he's, he's gifted and he's, he's mm-hmm. while he's not crazy long, he's, he's not like, you know, undersized for a wing either. Um, I just think there needs to be, there needs to be a way for him to be able to, to attack guys one-on-one that has him picking the ball up and getting ready to power up just from a step closer to the basket than where he is right this second. And I think you could just see some of these percentages go up, like he'll end up taking more shots at the rim as opposed to the floater zone. And that that immediately will help his help his cause, whether his, you know, the shooting percentages basically stay flat. But even then I think you'll see those numbers tick up though as well, too. So um I think for him offensively, that's the next step. I mean, this year it was coming in, it was probably can you shoot above the break? threes better and i think he has been he's yeah 36 percent on above the break threes has come down after a bit of a hot start but if he could settle in there that's a totally fine number um the next step for him offensively i think is that sort of freewheeling offensive drive game and just finding ways to achieve higher grades of efficiency on it i think a lot of that will have to deal with 
being able to get a, like one more step deeper in the paint, one more dribble deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the next level for him offensively. Yeah, sometimes he leaves his feet, and it's so far away from the basket. It's almost like he's leaving the, you know his feet without a plan. And yeah. he did make a difficult shot, you know, exactly that type of play where he left. He basically left outside the the paint and still made this like scoop running shot. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was like the third quarter or something like that. It might, actually might have been the first half when he did that. But uh, mm-hmm. the Hornets fall tonight and they're 13 and 21 on the season. Uh, they're still in ninth place in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're actually tied with the Chicago Bulls in terms of how many games back they are, but their percentage is above the Chicago Bulls. I had this conversation with Div B, but basically... I want to ask this question before we wrap. How far can you see the Hornets dropping in the Eastern Conference? Because I don't think there's any way they touch the Hawks, the Knicks, or the Cavaliers, and probably not the Wizards either, because the two teams that are below them are the Bulls and the Pistons, and those are two teams that I can see potentially rising above the Hornets, Uh, but I really can't see them getting lower than 11th, which is, uh, I think, for most fans coming into the season, they were expecting them to be like 15th or 14th in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I don't think you're catching Atlanta uh, six and twenty-five heading into Friday night. There, I think they just got done getting absolutely throttled by the Bucks too. So I believe they're six and twenty-six now. Yep. Obviously, John Collins getting going down for twenty games. You know that was uh, a big, de- bit deflating for them. Kevin Herter missing games. It's been all Trey Young or bust, and it has not worked out. But for a team that had you know aspirations of making the playoffs, maybe on the fringe in Atlanta, you know, another draft pick is not the, uh, the you know another lottery draft pick is not the end of the world. Although this draft, as we have discussed, not uh, the best in the world. Yeah, I don't think they can necessarily like Detroit. They're they're entering a bit of a crossroads, but it seems like right now they're still all in on trying to make the playoffs. These other teams, they can catch, they can probably catch Washington. I don't know, maybe Cleveland, you know, New York, but Atlanta. Like right now, five thirty eight has the Hornets projected to finish twenty six and fifty six, which would have only the Hawks and the Knicks in the Eastern conference with worse records and having would have the Cavaliers with the exact same record um, in the, in the Eastern conference at 26 and 56. And they have the Warriors projected to finish 25 and 57. Again, that's according to 538s forecast from earlier in the day today. So yeah, I don't think they can get all the way towards the bottom, but they could perhaps settle into that. I don't know. Maybe they can get into that. This feels, these, this feels, and I'm using optimistic uh, in a loosely, Loosely, yeah, very an interesting interpretation of the word optimistic, but I don't, I really don't know if they can sneak into the top five. Like that seems yeah, that the bottom five, I should say, that seems a little unlikely. But if they end up in that range from five to ten, uh, you know, assuming they keep the pick, which I certainly think that they will, they can still get uh, a good player in, in that range. And but yeah, I don't think they're catching the Hawks or the Knicks. I think those two teams are in their own category in terms of, of bad, but we'll see now that John Collins has come back, maybe Atlanta finds uh, a way to sort of like outperform where their expectations have them currently forecasted. All right. So the Hornets will take on the Memphis Grizzlies on Sunday. Uh, and then we'll actually have one more podcast before the new year. Uh, we're going to have a guest, Ashley Shamadi, the sideline reporter for the Hornets join us on Monday. So you'll get that out on Monday, probably uh, sometime in the afternoon on Monday, so you guys can listen to it uh, prior to the new year. Thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat podcast. Make sure you guys are subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For Brian, I am Richie. 
Go Hornets.